up and you think about loving the Lord, and frequently in the Bible is when it talks about loving the Lord, it's an agape love. An agape love is a genuine fascination, an infatuation, a captivation for another person and that person only, amen, where the Lord has my heart and I have his. But is it true? A genuine fascination, infatuation, and captivation with that person only. Would you join with me in your Bibles tonight to the book of 1 John? The book of 1 John, I'd like for us to see some things tonight. First John, if you join with me in standing for the reading of God's Word just for a moment here this evening. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd please help us tonight. We need your touch desperately here this evening. God, I pray that nothing would hinder you from being able to move and work, your spirit being able to flow in freedom tonight. We ask for a fresh touch from heaven. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd please become real to us more than you have in the past. I pray tonight, Lord Jesus, that you'd be uplifted and magnified, that you would have preeminence. I pray, God, that your love for us would move our hearts for greater things, nobler things, eternal things. Thank you, God, for your love. We do love you, Lord. We don't deserve your love, but we're thankful for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. First John, let's go ahead and go to chapter number four. 1 John 4, we're going to bounce around for just a moment. 1 John 4, look at what the Bible says in verse number 9. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us. If you could turn me up a little bit more in the monitors, please. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world. That we might, what, church? Live. I don't believe tonight that God wants us to live a defeated or a dead, lethargic Christian life. Of course, we understand here that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. As we reference even John 3.16, we said it briefly this morning, but as you study scripture, the kind of life that God wants us to have is eternal life. But he also wants us to have life and life more abundantly. Beyond that, you can find a handful of times in the word of God that he wants us to have a quickened life, or should I word an energetic life. Someone who has a passion, someone who has a fire, someone who has a genuine burdening and a burning within them. I'm not talking about some physical outward antic or maybe some emotionalism or hype that we're trying to work up uh, to pattern ourselves maybe after another person or a personality or a philosophy, but allowing the Lord to fill you and fire you up for who you are. I know that we have a lot of different personalities in the room. I'm sure that we have different demeanors and different ways things could be handled Maybe you're up and down. Maybe you're steady. I don't know. Maybe you weep. Maybe you've never cried. I don't know. But regardless of that, that there would be something that burns deep within, that there is a quickness, if you will, that's done by the Spirit of God. And I'm thankful tonight that God wants us to have life, everlasting life, abundant life, and a quickened, or should I say, energetic life. Verse number 10, the Bible says, herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We could jump over now to verse number 19. The Bible says we love him. Why? Because he what, church? First loved us. 
Now jumping back over to chapter number three, we see at the very beginning of this chapter in 1 John 3, it starts out with an exclamation. It starts out with the word behold. It's a verbal billboard, if you will, where God is trying to get our attention. Uh, The Lord is trying to say, hey, hey, don't gloss over this. Don't glance past this. Really soak this up and think about it. You might be familiar with maybe a billboard with the numbers up on there or maybe some bright colors or maybe some flashing lights or something. What does it do? It captures your attention. It causes you to look at it. And may our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our bodies, our spirit, our souls, our strength, our everything be captivated with what we see in this verse. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed or freely given upon us, placed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. There's something different between us and the world, and it's Jesus. The world can't put its finger on it, but you know, at the workplace, they see you there, and, and they, they hear the whistle, and they see that pep in the step, if you will, and you see, even though at times life may be spiraling out of control and stuff is not happening right, that the Christian is not down, the Christian is not depressed, the Christian is not discouraged, but rather, there is a, an abundance there, there is a fulfillment there, there is a peace there, there is a satisfaction there, and what is it? They wonder, and they're seeking to fill that void, and maybe they'll try some drugs, and maybe they'll try some some alcohol. Maybe they'll try 70 hours a week and money and everything that it could buy and the materialism and the immorality and all the stuff that this world is clamoring saying, hey, this is where it's at. Ain't there. Satisfaction, fulfillment, happiness, peace is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Letting the love of God wash over our soul and fill us because that's what should be motivating us to be who we are as believers, and you know that tonight. If the Lord allows, we'll mention more of that here later this evening. Notice in verse number two, verse number three, he says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. I suppose you're anticipating me to pray again so you're going to have a seat, but you can just go ahead and have a seat. Amen? Like, how is this going to end? Just reading the verse and you're going to have a seat. No problem. We can pray again. Should we pray again? I feel like I need prayer all over again. Amen? So I'm praying in my heart and I'm screaming before the Lord, oh God, help me as I stand before these people that you'd please have preeminence and that you'd move and work in our hearts. Of course, a very self-evident text. I'm thankful for it. A passage that preaches for itself, and of course the Bible preaches for itself, and it explains itself best. I'm thankful that we're able to observe the teachings of the Word of God, and here we can find just jumping right out of the gate, if you will, beholding the manner of love of God and the love of God that He has toward us. I believe, first and foremost, that verse number one screams the amazement of His love. You stop and you think about it when it says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we, are you kidding me, that we should be called the sons of God? Would you join with me, if you will, over to the book of Psalm, the book of Psalm. I feel like I'm struggling with the PA tonight, so maybe it's just my voice. If you could turn me up uh, the whole way, all right? Not the whole way, but just turn, turn me up a little bit more. Maybe it's just the monitors, so that way it's, not a, it's probably just a mental thing. I appreciate that. And we specifically use a handheld. And book of Psalm, would you turn there? Psalm 113. Um, I, um, 
thought I had developed a sort of vocal uh, node back earlier this year and was concerned I was losing my voice. Of course, I preached constantly and thought I had some sort of vocal node, but went to the specialist there in the southeast where we were, their meetings, and he ran a scope and ran a video and such, and praise the Lord, there's absolutely no scarring, nothing on my vocal cords. Everything was absolutely perfect. Out of all the hundreds of times that I preach every single year, I was blown away. I thought I'd have to come off the road for quite a while, but it was a perfect storm, he said. He was a born-again Christian, by the way. He said, you know what? Uh, you've, got, you've got allergies, you don't even realize you got allergies up there, you know. And he said, also, you're struggling a little bit with, with, with uh, some silent indigestion. You all familiar with that? Where you're having acid reflux, and you don't, don't even realize that, it, and it's scalding you. It's just, it's, it's just taking and inflaming your voice box. And also, uh, besides the allergies uh, and the acid reflux, he says, um, you've, you've got a little bit of a cold up there, too. He said, and so here's some medication. Take this stuff. This will help you out. Just some things that you can pick up at Walmart right there on the shelf. Within a couple of weeks, everything was absolutely fine. Praise God. He said, but you need to preach, not with a lapel or with a headset mic. You need to preach, not with a pulpit mic, but with a handheld. So that way you can get right into it if you needed to. And instead of pushing your diaphragm and hurting your voice, you can just go right into the microphone like that to get your point across. Amen? And so every single time I eat Italian food and I have tons of garlic, I always struggle at night. And the struggle is real right now, amen, because I enjoyed Olive Garden this afternoon with Pastor and his wife, and we had an absolute wonderful time uh, enjoying that, and I literally baptized my noodles in Alfredo sauce. I knew what it was going to do, and I feel like I got about 10,000 cotton balls in my mouth, but I said, it's worth it, it's worth it, it's worth it. <laughs> and so maybe uh, that's to just share with you and explain with you just some of the things in my mind there. Of course, I know we'll rise at times, and I feel really hot now up here. Is that just these, or is that the whole thing? It's just these. Okay, very good. Notice what the Bible says. Are you there with me to Psalm 113? That was to give us some time to turn there. Psalm 113. The Bible says, launching out of the gate here in this passage, it says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Bless the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Don't you think we should praise the Lord tonight? From the rising of the sun and the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised, which is meaning, hey, regardless of the ups and downs, the twists and the turns, the trials, the tragedies, or even the triumphs, you are to praise his name. It's a present tense thing. The Lord's name is to be praised. By the way, we have every reason to give him the praise and the glory. Because even when trials enter our life, there's always a purpose for the trial. Amen? And God always has a reason for that season. And even if things don't make sense on this side of it, one day it will fall into place. It will fit and make sense. Could be 10 years from now. Could be 20 years from now. It may not be till we get home to be with the Lord. But praise God, all things work together for good. And just like pieces of a puzzle interlocked with one another and uh, layer themselves in to create that beautiful picture or whatever it is that you have there on the puzzle, praise God that even though we're given different pieces of the puzzle of life, God always has a purpose and God always has a place for every single one of those pieces. You know, every single puzzle always has a last piece. And when we do puzzles, you know, 
Um, of course, they're not the 500 pieces, you know, don't have time for that, I suppose. How are you supposed to carry that around, you know? <laughs> but the kids, you know, they'll do a 100-piece puzzle or uh, sometimes a 200-piece or something like that. But I remember as a kid growing up, we'd do those big puzzles. And the ones that we couldn't figure out hide nor hair where they were supposed to go, you know, those pieces, is that the water or is that, what is that? Is that the trees or is that a reflection of it? Is this supposed to be stone here or is this part of the house? And, you know, the cottage, Thomas Kincaid, you know, where is this thing supposed to go? Well, I don't know. Well, I suppose we should throw it in the trash. Can't figure it out? Put it in the trash. No, that's foolish. What do you do? You set it off to the side. If you're ultra crazy like me, you can get the little plastic sandwich baggies, you know, and you mark what the different sections of the puzzle is, trees, water, sky, house, path, etc. But then you always have a misc bag, M-I-S-C period bag, the miscellaneous bag. Don't know where those pieces are supposed to go. What do you do? Just put them in the bag. And as things begin to take shape and take form, things then make sense. And, oh, wow, I had no idea that's where that was supposed to go. The will of God for our lives is to always give thanks. It's hard in the moment. But I'm thankful that we have testimonies of people throughout Scripture. If they could do it after losing all his kids, after losing everything he owned, his own house, as some scholars think, as he sat in the ash heap was the remnants of his own home. The pottery that he scraped the pus out of his wounds with was remnants from the kitchen and dishes and broken vessels. But yet, he gave God the glory. Blessed be the name of the Lord! There could be, and I had no intention of taking the time to mention any of this tonight. This is a message about the love of God, but in a sense, as you meditate upon this truth, isn't it wonderful to rejoice in this aspect of his love? that it's always for our good. The goodness of God endureth continually. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, Jeremiah 29, 11. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. God does not think of us and has bad thoughts or negative thoughts, thoughts in which he's trying to sadistically try to make our life miserable and difficult. No, but if there is hardships, there is a purpose for it, and it's always going to help us. And there could be people, and I'm seeking to be delicate, I have no idea. I don't want to be belligerent tonight, but there could be people in this room that you faced something and you still don't understand the reason why. May I ask gently tonight, are you still willing to rejoice and give God the glory for it anyway? We always like to rejoice when the trial makes sense. We rejoice even after we've come out of the valley. But maybe there are some that are in the thick of it and you have no idea when the end will be in sight. Someone tonight could be as faced a hardship. It's hard, hard to give him the glory. May I encourage you tonight to release. Release yourself to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. Say, God, in everything give thanks. And God, I'm going to be thankful for this tragedy because I know it has a purpose. Of course, it's interesting, the Bible did not say for everything give thanks. Every single word in the Bible is, is spot on and it's perfect. He didn't say for everything give thanks. Or come into my presence and you just received the phone call that you got cancer, you lost your job, uh, you have COVID, this or that or the other. All right, gravel before my feet and worship me and give me praise for this. That's not the Lord trying to make us squirm. No, but rather in everything give thanks. That's a totally different scenario. Or God, I found out I've lost my job. 
Lord, I've discovered that I have cancer. God, this, that, or the other. Lord, and rushing into his presence, not worrying, but wondering. Lord, instead of raising the fist in bitterness, why have you allowed this to happen to me that we would boldly enter his throne of grace and we would cry out, God, why? What's your end game here? What's the goal? I don't know, but this is crazy, and I was not expecting this, and if I was to do this on my own, I certainly wouldn't have chosen this path, but God, for some reason, this is what you've given me, and I know that you're with me every single step of the way, and it's for a purpose. Oh, God, I pray that it will be. I long, I desire for it to be revealed, your glory to shine and show through me. You know, it's interesting there's multiple reasons why God brings a trial. That's a separate message um, and things, and it's a wonderful encouragement. There's always a purpose for the trial. There's multiple reasons that we give as we look at different passages in the Word of God, things that people faced. But you know, one of those reasons is an opportunity to become more vocal, an opportunity for us to be able to share the gospel and to be a witness, to sing praise. If Paul and Silas were not in the prison in the midnight hour, they would not have been singing and testifying as their feet were locked in stocks, as their backs, if I'm not mistaken, had been whipped. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I'm sorry uh, for this, this lack of preparation. I didn't expect to go this route as we continue forward in just a moment in Psalm 113. But as they were there in the midst of that midnight hour, what did they do? They gave God the glory anyway and sang praise. They had no idea how the thing was going to turn out and as a result of that the earth literally was moved an earthquake god saving that philippian jailer and his whole house and some say which i have no idea but some say that the philippian jailer was actually stephanus or stephanus in the bible and the man who addicted himself to the ministry think about the church that was started as a result of this midnight praise moment in the midst of a trial. What was it? It was an opportunity to become more vocal. My dad received the news that he had stage four pancreatic cancer. He said, well, what else am I supposed to do? Complain? <laughs> He's from Brooklyn, you know. He said, this is, this is just what God has given me. So, Lord, as I go through this, obviously I'm going to be sitting in places and interacting with people that I would have never met otherwise in my life. God, help me. He would share this frequently with me over the phone while I was still here on this earth. God, help me to take advantage of those times. God, use me in those moments. God, please grant unto me opportunities, appointments where I can reach people. The Lord used him to lead doctors to the Lord and nurses to the Lord and other patients to the Lord. God used them, and it was an opportunity to become more vocal. Even if one soul is reached in our entire life, it would be worth all the struggle. It would be worth. Why? Well, tonight we're going to get a little bit more into that. Is everybody okay? Would you say amen? Thank you for your help in the back. It's really helped me. Psalm 113, thank you, brother. I appreciate you in the back as well. The Bible says, notice, from the rising of the sun, verse number three, under the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Well, something for us to think about there. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above all the heavens, above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth, who raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill that he may set him with princes, even with the princes 
of his people. You stop and you think about this. Who is likened to God that he would humble himself, he would lower himself, which means that he got down basically in all fours and he was crawling around and he was looking in the cracks and the crevices and he was looking intently all over the place trying to find those who were wayward, the ones who were lost, seeking and saving, trying to salvage and help people. The Bible says that we are but dust. It says in another passage of Scripture, and don't turn there, but over, if I'm not mistaken, in Psalm 103, verse number 14, for he knoweth our frame and remembereth that we are dust, and dust, as it's talked about here, he raiseth up the poor out of the dust. Dust, dust is something that's worthless. It's common. It's insignificant. I don't think anybody tonight likes dust. If I even tonight could find dust in the church, maybe there's some up here above this, this door frame. All right, let's see what we got. All right, ready? Oh, there it is right there. Hey, Van, you see that? Would anyone like to give 100 bucks for this? What? Let's have an auction. Come on. Come on. No. It's like, who wants that? God does. That dirt and that dust, that's my existence. I'm more microscopic than a speck of dust. I am dust. We get so filled when cocky and arrogant and filled with pride about who we think we are. We're nothing. And Jesus says that in so many words there in the book of John 6, 63. He says, the flesh profiteth nothing. In John 15, 5, he says, for without me ye can do nothing. We are needy tonight. We are poor tonight. And I'm thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ reached down to seek and to save those who were lost. As it says also, and you're in the book of Psalm, would you turn back quickly to Psalm 8? I love this passage of Scripture. Psalm 8. I begin to read, we'll be jumping down to verse number three in just a moment, but I'll read verse number one. O Lord, our Lord, which by the way is a, ver that verse right there is proof of the Trinity and the aspect of God the Father and God the Son being God. Say, what do you mean? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. What does that refer to? Jehovah, God, the King of Kings, our Lord, capital L, little O-R-D. Who's that talking about? That's Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? How excellent is thy name in all the earth, who hath set thy glory above the heavens. Jump down to verse number three now that you're there. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. Now pause just for a moment and look here. Are you kidding me? The working and the work of his fingers. The sun? Have you ever done some work with your fingers? Just kind of dabbling, kind of fiddling around with something, you know, like, you know. You didn't have to put your whole body into it to get, get it done. You're just kind of doing this, you know, just, just working gently with your hands like it was no big deal. The sun, the earth, the stars, the solar system, the galaxy. And by the way, the whole entire, the entirety of the solar system is a pinhole of light on the map, if you will, of the Milky Way galaxy. And this is but one of hundreds of what they say, billions of galaxies that have been flung across the great expanse. And that's not being an evolutionist, all right? It's wonderful. Uh, legit scientists, all right? Hun one of hundreds of billions that have been flung across the great expanse of space. And he is in control of all of that. And he is the exact same one who lowered himself from his glory above even the heavens itself and came to this earth why? To die. He was born to die. 
He was born for the intent to come to save you and me from our wretchedness and our wickedness and our ungodliness and our sin. And verse number four, oh, may it wash over our soul tonight. What is man? Who am I that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? I'm thankful for Christmas. I always enjoy the holiday season when we can get together with family or maybe just as a family, uh, the young family that we are, get together and enjoy some quiet time and some, some, some comfortable time at the house around those holidays and, of course, all the hustle and bustle and the excitement of it and such, but all that we would not let the story and the account of what Christmas is grow old to become something that's commonplace or ordinary or average, something that we just kind of huff and puff our way through, but something may it be that grips our heart, that consumes us, and all that we would never let the story of Calvary from the cradle to the cross grow old in our hearts when we sing the old rugged cross on a little far away that it would stir our hearts that it would cause our hearts to beat a little faster and a little harder that it would be something that we would never lose the perspective and passion of could it be tonight that as Christians if we're not careful the reason we don't passionately love Jesus and ultimately as a result live for Jesus is because we've forgotten and we've forsaken how passionately he loves us and how he lived for us. Oh, tonight we see here the amazement of his love in old church. It says back there in our text of 1 John 3, would you look at it again? Verse number one, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God in all that it would genuinely overwhelm us and stir our hearts that there's no greater love than a man laying down his life for his friends and that Jesus Christ would be the friend of publicans and sinners, that Jesus Christ would consider me and consider you a friend. And I'm sure tonight you're no stranger to what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us in all the suffering, in all the pain, in all the anguish, in all the things and the torture that he went through in order to get to that cruel tree to be suspended between heaven and earth and there to bleed and to die and give his life as a sacrifice and to become the savior of men's souls. Hallelujah, what a savior. Thank God tonight that it would wash over us and stir us and that we genuinely will have a wow, if you will, an amazement of the love of God. To endure the cat of nine tails. To allow those men from the Sanhedrin and all their vehemency and their bitterness and anger buffet him. What does that mean? Put an onion sack or something over his face and every man has one opportunity to smack that individual as hard as they can. Give you your best shot because you only got one. There in the sense of a single file line, they stood there and there. They got themselves all set up and situated. And there, one at a time, bah, yeah, the next one. Of course, the sack there, not being able to anticipate the blow. Ah, there. Pulling the beard from his cheeks. I mean, if I did that to this guy right here, it'd be fighting terms. Pull his beard, what, I'm going to get karate chopped. How, how would that feel? He did it. Like a sheep being led to the slaughter, he opened out his mouth. He endured it. Why? 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Oh, by the way, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. He didn't stay dead, but he's a risen, conquering king and savior. I'm thankful tonight, as it says, and keep your finger in 1 John 3 and join with me just a few pages over to the book of Revelation. Oh, we could quote it tonight, but I want you to see it, rejoice in it, highlight it, underline it, uh, jot down the reference so you can memorize it, read it later and rejoice in it here this evening in that private prayer closet. Display that passion before the Lord. Would you see it here in, first, uh, in Revelation 1? Notice in verse number 5, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. But down into verse number 18, it gets gooder and gooder. It says, Jesus Christ now speaking, he says, uh, echoing throughout eternity in the universe itself so that all nature could hear of the glorious victory that's found in Christ. I am. He's the great I am, not the great has been or the one day will be. He is alive and well right now sitting on the right hand of the throne of the Father, but he's omnipresent. He's also in my heart, and I walk with him and I talk with him. Oh, what a blessing it is to have a sweet relationship with Jesus Christ. I am he that liveth and was dead. I did die, and behold, there's that word again, amen. Pay attention, get a load of this. Hey, 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 don't gloss over this. Don't glance past this. Behold, I am alive forevermore, amen. Of course, that is his name, but I think the Lord was just excited. And have the keys of hell and of death. He's got a key ring on his belt loop. And it is the keys of the very gates of hell itself. Oh, sting, grave, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? He is the victorious one. Oh, tonight, that in some way, as we seek to, to go through this and mention this, that our hearts would be genuinely gripped with an amazement of the love of God. Could it be that we don't have this tonight? As Christians in modern-day America, maybe this church is not guilty of it, I don't know. But could it be that across the board, we are guilty of leaving our first love. We are guilty of being like that church of Ephesus. Would you keep your finger in 1 John and join with me quickly over the book of Revelation? Yet again, we see now, maybe, maybe you stayed there, all right? I turned back to 1 John, all right? Don't know why I did. And I didn't know we were going to go to Revelation 2, but we are now, all right? Revelation 2, he launches out of the gate. He says in verse number 2 of Revelation 2 under the church of Ephesus, write this, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. They've had hard times. They had trials and tribulations. They endured some things, and they were a studious church, man. They, they sought the scriptures. They knew how to identify false doctrine. They knew what they believed and why they believed it. But yet God said in verse number four, nevertheless, that's all great, but listen, I've got someone against thee. Something bothers me. Something is wrong because thou hast left thy first love. You're being driven by the labor, and you're being driven by the duty. You're being driven by the letter of the law. And you've left behind for me. And you've left behind in your own heart a love for me. Could it be that our churches are guilty of being like Ephesus? We have our ministries. We have our bus routes. We have our Sunday school classes. We have our choirs. 
We have all these different things that we engage in, but we're engaged in the letter of the law. And we're being driven by the letter of the law rather than being driven by what should be our love for the Lord. The offering plate passes by, missions, giving, across the board, the application could be given. We're simply doing things out of formality just to check something off a list. We wonder what other people would think if we don't do this or we don't show up for soul winning. We don't engage in that. What's the pastor going to think, think of me? Who cares about any of that stuff? Is the motive of our heart right? And could it be that for far too long we have put such an emphasis upon the what and the how? And there needs to be that. But we've lost having an emphasis upon the why. And oh, as a church, yes, there should be things that we do. If I could classify it as the externalisms, man, we need to be involved. We need to be in the trenches. We need to be on the front lines. But that love of Christ, uh, this amazement of his love, should be what compels us and constrains us, as we, of course, find specifically mentioned and, and told us and taught us there in 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 14, that the love of Christ constraineth, it compels us, it moves us, it motivates us. Nothing else but the love of Christ which causes me to not have a have-to attitude, but a get-to spirit, amen? We'll see more of that as we continue forward here this evening. He says, because thou hast left thy first love. Verse number five is the answer, therefore remember from whence thou art fallen. If someone has fallen out of love with Jesus Christ, if someone is guilty of performing things out of the letter of the law rather than a love for the Lord, that person is backslidden. That person has fallen away from their closeness with God. You could read 20 chapters a day but if you're not doing it because you love the Lord, what's the point? God, help us tonight. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Remember what it was to enjoy the sweetness of that communion, that closeness with Christ, that Im intimacy, if you will, that infatuation and that captivation. And repent, he says. Swallow your pride and recognize that it's wrong and leave it behind and shun it. Get away from it as far and as fast as you can and turn from the sin and turn back to your Savior and do the first works. Now remember that phrase, first works, because what are the first works? Jesus answers that question. We'll see that here in just a moment. Are you still with me? Would you say amen? But that our hearts tonight would be overwhelmed with the amazement of his love. I don't believe that there's any way a film could capture what Jesus did for us on the cross. I don't believe there's any way that we could try to put in some sort of presentation or in some sort of book form for us to be able to read a recap, if you will. I don't even believe the Bible was able to encapsulate the full extent of all that God did and all the suffering and the agony and the mocking and the jeering and all the blasphemous things and the offering of the, the, the fermented liquid there and the vinegar and all the stuff that he faced and the devil, Satan attacking him, trying to get him to not go through with what his purpose was. But I'm thankful that even though the sky turned dark at noon when it was supposed to be the brightest and darkness had settled as a result, I believe my personal opinion, just worth two cents, by the way, all the sins of the human race, past, present, and future, my sins being funneled down and poured down there upon the Lord Jesus Christ as he was suspended between heaven and earth there on that cross, he did it because of his love for us. And he paid for the sins of the world in full. And there, in spite of all the suffering and agony, he cried those words, it is finished. Of course, he didn't stay dead, but he rose again from the grave three days later. Oh, church tonight, that we would bask and we would reflect in this amazement of God's love, 
that we would share the amazement of God's love with the lost and dying world, as we've already mentioned this morning, how that they deserve to have a chance too. Amen. There's so many people that wish they were loved and wish they knew what real love was. And they can experience that. And Jesus Christ is sweeter, sweeter than any friend. Jesus Christ is closer than any brother. I'm thankful tonight that he is the friend of sinners. May we take time, I encourage you, to reflect upon the sacrifice of Christ. Develop that healthy spiritual habit. Every drop of his blood said, I love you. That we would, as we sing, cherish the old rugged cross. We love the cross not because of what it was used to do to our Savior, but because of what my Savior used it for to do for me. The Bible says in verse number 2 now quickly of 1 John 3, he says, Beloved, I'm so thankful tonight that God calls me beloved. It's the word agapetos, or he has a fascination with me. He has an admiration and a captivation with me. It's not just a one-way street, but it's a two-way thing. It's a present tense thing. He cherishes every single one of us. We're consistently in the heart and the mind of God. How much do we love the Lord? Verse number two, well, before we go there, I, I'm sorry, church. I'm struggling a little bit tonight. Notice in 1 John chapter number two, would you see verse number 15? Could it be that we've lost our amazement, our captivation, our fascination with the love of God because of our love for the world? 1 John 2, verse number 15, you're being so kind and attentive tonight. He says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You want a life that's going to last, a life that's going to have legacy, longevity, that's going to make a difference? Do the will of God. But God is giving that bold admonition there, and he's giving that charge, and if you will, that, that, that scolding, if you will, and we need it, amen, to love not this old world. If we're not careful, our flesh will long for the things of this world and will desire the things of our heart, the, the things of this world, as it says, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. But you know, of course, as we think about those things in brief, Jesus Christ was faced with that as well, wasn't he? We find that the parallel there, when Jesus was tempted as Satan sought to tempt him, hey, turn these stones into bread, the lust of the flesh. Oh, 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 okay, fine, all right. Uh, then, then, then why don't you uh, go ahead and come with me, and, and in a moment I'm going to share with you, look at all the splendor and all the riches and all the kingdoms of this world that I control. Just bow down and worship me. Just, just live for me and follow me. Let me be your guide in things, and I will give you all of this. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. The pride of life. Okay, snap the finger. There they were at the top of the temple on the pinnacle point. There where they were so high up and he said, cast yourself down. Just, just throw yourself off. We all know that you came to die for the sins of the world and there's no way that God the Father is going to let you uh, die to your death as a human being. He, we know that he's going to protect you and we know that he is not going to let you die prematurely. Just go ahead, throw yourself off and the angels will bear you down with their wings. 
things or bear you down. It's the pride of life. And as you are floating down with angelic beings carrying you, and even if they cannot see you, they just see your human form floating down there gently to put the sole of your feet in the midst of them in the great temple. They will worship you. It's the pride of life. He said no. I'm thankful tonight that Jesus Christ was able to get the victory through the word of God. And the exact same thing that he had to get the victory over Satan is the exact same thing that I've got here tonight. Amen? And I have the full form of the word of God. I'm thankful tonight we just don't have a book or two, but we've got the entire thing, the word of God that's settled in heaven forever. What a joy and a privilege it is to be a Christian. And honestly, how easy it is to live for God and to get victory. We've got everything we need right here. Presence and power of God. Man, Joseph, when he fled Potiphar's wife, didn't have no Holy Spirit. Didn't have the Bible, didn't have the church, didn't have friends, didn't have people encouraging him. And if he could do it, and if he could win the victory, and if he could be used of God and have the hand of God upon his life, as, uh, 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 as uh, Pharaoh said, not Pilate, all right, as Pharaoh said, man, uh, this one is different. He's got the Spirit of God in him. That was the acknowledgement. He said to the servants and to the other people out of earshot from Joseph, can you find me someone like this? If he could do it, what's my excuse? What's your excuse tonight? May God encourage us and strengthen us to get victory through the word of God, to love not the world, and to love not the lust of the flesh. It's a hard thing. Come on. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. These are very real struggles in every single human being. But we don't have to give in to the flesh. We don't have to let those things grip us or consume us, but rather we can live a victorious Christian life in the power of God, and I'm thankful for it. He will give us victory over those sins, and he will not let us to be tempted above that which we are able, but he will with it make the way of escape, and it's found right here in the word of God. And oh, tonight that our hearts would not love the world, could it be that the reason we're falling captive, the reason we're falling prey, the reason we're giving in to lusts and to carnal appetites and desires and sinful things and pride is because we've lost our focus and we've lost our fervency and we've lost looking and we've lost loving Jesus the way we ought to. You know, it's interesting. Love the world. Money? Where did I put that? Right here. I went to the Walmart tonight to grab some Play-Doh. My kids were asking me, is that for us to play with? The answer is, could you open this for me? Thank you very much. Thank you. Good catch. I'm going to set this down for a moment. Try to pull this open. Once you got that open there, make this thing child-proof antibug-proof. Wow. Just toss it up whenever you have that moment. Dude, we've got some Play-Doh here. Some fresh Play-Doh installing. <laughs> Sorry. You know, this is probably disrespectful to say, but Come on, Grandpa. Amen? <laughs> that is bad. And I don't mean that in any sense. Of it. But I'm going to probably get that later. He's going to do something to me. i got to watch out. Transition to this for a moment. Thank you so much. I'm sorry. That thing was, I, I, I was fighting with it, so I just. <laughs> but you know, if I could do my best here this evening, I could maybe form. This is pretty pathetic and pretty sad. Come on now. Form a heart. Uh, you get the idea, okay? But you know, 
money. Gets called a bank robber. Self. Is this on? Right here. Self. Appearance. Ambition. Popularity. The approval of men. Sports. Hunting. That can become an idol and a god. All of these things. Entertainment, movies, television shows. We wind up binge-watching things off of Netflix, but we don't take time to read our Bibles for like 30 minutes. Just, even just one chapter. Something's wrong. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's very legit. Something is wrong. Um, how about food? Nothing wrong with food. I love food. I love watching the Food Network, by the way. But it can become a lust. Very big problem. We, we've got addictions of all different kinds. Lust, sexual problems, sins. And then, oh, here you go, God. Oh, how I love Jesus. <laughs> yes, I do. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. And that, that's like, whoa, that's kind of weird that I do that. But that's what we're doing. It's really what we're doing. Because he first loved me. And it may not be all these things. Maybe it's just one thing. I don't know tonight. The pulpit, of course, is never a bully pulpit. The word of God needs to be preached. Sin must always be addressed. And you'll find that God does address it in the Bible. Tonight, what we must do is pick up all the pieces. Instead of giving God just the leftovers or just some of it, that we would give God all of it. I refuse to love money more than Jesus. Give me back that. I refuse to love myself or my appearance or how I want to look. Come on. I'm serious tonight, spending more time in the mirror than on our face before the Lord. There's something wrong with that. I'm just being honest. That's not nice to say, I know. I want to be a nice guy. To have the different things, as we mentioned, popularity and sports and hunting and entertainment and all these things, but that should never take precedence, should never take priority, should never take preeminence over Jesus Christ. There's a time and place for everything, but he should have all of my heart. And as I engage in working and getting a paycheck, and as I engage in seeking to uh, be a good steward of my vessel and looking appropriate, not a bum or a slob, come on, amen. But man, being someone who desires to have uh, the favor and the approval of men, not because we're trying to make a name for ourselves, but we want to be a good testimony for Jesus Christ, and we want to be known as a man of character, integrity, we're respected, amen. Uh, our word means something, Amen. But we're doing it because why? It's Jesus. We want to shine Jesus. I love Jesus. That's why. 
sports having its right place but not becoming an idol. Uh, and it's something that as we engage with it, uh, we know that the Lord is not grieved by it. We're turning the things off when the cheerleaders come on. We're not watching the commercials and all the advertisements of beer. We're muting things when rock and roll is playing. Entertainment with all the different things that inundate our homes and influence our homes and, and can grip our hearts and consume our hearts and cause our hearts to leave the first love as we get filled on the lusts of the flesh. And when we sit down and watch whatever it is, I'll go ahead and use this again. We sit down and watch whatever it is that we know Jesus is sitting right next to us. And Jesus does not have to get up and walk out of the room. Do we function this way? Do we operate this way? We're supposed to. We ought to. May God help us tonight to be someone who has an amazement of his love. Quickly now, jumping to verse number 2 of 1st. John 3, quickly, the Bible says, is everyone okay tonight? Would you say amen? We'll never give, never go, never become who God would have us to be if we don't love him the way we should. What privilege that we can have this love relationship with the Lord. Verse number two, beloved, now are we the sons of God. It transitions here, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, praise God, he's coming back. We shall be like him. We'll be like Jesus, and we shall see Jesus even as he is. Thank God tonight. What a tremendous blessing this is, that one day the best is yet to come. And I believe the second thought that could be drawn from this passage as we behold the manner of his love is not only the amazement of his love, but also beyond that, the excitement excitement of eternity because of his love that yes God has my best interest in mind and yes God cares for me and yes God wants to bless me and God wants to be good unto me and all the things that his love does but he saved me and this life is just but a moment it's but a vapor that appeareth for a time and then vanisheth away and the best is yet to come to die is gain you stop and you think about eternity the fact that heaven is real, just as tangible as this railing is and just as real as this floor is and just as real as those seats are and this building is, so is and so are the structures of heaven and the streets of gold and the mansions on the hilltop, if you will, and the throne of God being in his presence, seeing the seraphims and there all oh, the emerald bow that spans above the throne and the thick cloud of his glory and, that, and the thundering and the lightning that issues from it and all oh, Jesus Christ to be able to literally make eye contact with God just as I look at my brother here tonight sitting on this third row in the end I'll be able to make eye contact with Jesus Christ very literally very physically in a glorified body very tangibly being able to hug him and kiss him on the cheek and worship at his feet hallelujah thine the glory eternity's coming thank God heaven is real oh tonight there would be generated in our heart an excitement of eternity because of his love. That is, you stop and you think about heaven's rest and all the rejoicing, heaven's rejoicing, and all the things that we could go through, which we don't have time for it tonight. We must hasten. But all the things about heaven that we could ponder, how that it is coming, amen? And it is going to happen. Thank God, eternity will forever be with the Lord. And you can stop and you can think about that even in Luke 16, right? I mean, it really is an encouraging passage of Scripture on the one aspect of it, how that the beggar died and was in Abraham's bosom. And you know, when my dad had passed away, uh, that passage, 
passage just really uh, showed itself in a new light to me, how the Bible teaches us that when he died, he was carried by the angels, which means that he was born up, or someone took him from underneath his arms and carried him. He did not float to heaven, but rather he was ushered into the presence of God. He was brought there with a uh, uh, with, a, uh, with people that were escorting him and they're literally carrying him and causing him, as it says in Psalm 90, we fly away, thank God, that we will be carried into the presence of God. The Bible says also in that passage of Scripture of Psalm six, uh, in Luke 16 that not only was he carried, but he was also comforted. He was comforted. All the pain that must have racked his body, all the disease and all the suffering, it was all done. And there, could it be, Jesus gave him a hug and said, it's okay, child, you're here now. As you were suffering, laying on the side of the road from a car accident, it's okay, you're here now. Taking those last breaths underneath the water, at least striving, striving to being drowned, it's okay, you're here now, you're fine. As the cancer is racking the body and literally eating out the bones and you're suffering upon the deathbed and you go into the presence of God, and you think about all the different excruciating ways to die, being burnt at the stake. It's okay. It's okay, child. You're here. You say, well, how do you know he was suffering? The Bible says the dogs came and licked his sores. And then he died. What is that talking about? That's a real nice thing, isn't it? You know, the dogs come and you know, hey, puppy. Have you ever had a dog lick you? It's kind of rough, isn't it? How would you like to have dogs just incessantly lick an open wound? How would that feel? It'd be like in a taking sandpaper and going ahead and... <laughs> and the dogs, the wild beasts that roamed the streets in packs came as he was a defenseless beggar, weak and frail, laying at the gate in starvation, striving to just eat of crumbs that fell from the rich man's table as he was dumpster diving, trying to find something to eat. And there, helpless and defenseless, dogs came and licked his sores. And he died in agony. But when he went to heaven, he was comforted. Death is certainly something that we face, face with apprehension. I don't know of anybody who's looking forward to dying. But may when we look forward, if you will, in the concept of looking forward into the eyes of death, understand that he has already gone through that. And there is no sting and there is no victory there. And even though it is a darkened veil, that moment as the uh, individual leaves this shell, that we will forever be in the presence of God and given a glorified body, and I've not gone to heaven and come back to testify about it. There's one in the Bible who has. And there we find that Paul, I believe, was brought into the... He's like, man, I, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. It was just like, it just blows my mind trying to even process how to word this. If you read that passage, it's just unreal how he says it. He says, just the things that I saw, I don't even know how to put it into words. It's just... I, 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 and he basically fumbling over himself in the Bible. Of course, all of that from the very heart and mind of God, the inspiration given there, and how wonderful to signify and to exemplify that you can't put it into words. It's so glorious. But also, he said, whether it was in the body or out, I cannot tell. Why? Because it was just as real as being in the body. It wasn't a new body. Amen. And praise God, it's just as physical and just as tangible as this, the excitement of eternity because of his love. And of course, Lazarus, as he was in the, uh, a beggar uh, in suffering and uh, as he was 
uh, taken to glory, but also we find the rich man as he perished and he had everything, but he didn't trust in the Lord as his personal Savior, and how that he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, the Bible says, screaming for just but one drop of water. I've got some here tonight, just, just one drop, not all of that, just one drop, oh, just one drop across the great gulf that's fixed, just one little drop, that's all I want. I would give all the wealth of the world and then all that I own just for one drop of water so that it could come Oh, gently now. Don't let it drop and go somewhere else. But I want it to go tip of my tongue. That's it. We have joy looking forward. We will look forward in joy of what's to come and the joy is still yet before us. What about the lost? Talk about excitement. How would you like two strong men to take you and literally throw you into a fire? And there, statistically, stand above the pit and watch you fry to death and burn alive. That's a, that's a gross thing, and I don't mean to be crass tonight in the pulpit. I think there would be some intensity there. Don't let him take me! No, what are you doing? Please, leave me alone! Right? And you think about the lost that are going to be cast into hell. What do you think it is for a lost soul's first day in eternity? There's a story. I, a man that I worked for for almost two years, brother Pastor Jim Vineyard, told the story. And I accept it to be true because he shared it. But there was a man that he was seeking to lead to the Lord heart was so hard. He wanted anything to do with God. Wanted him getting terminal cancer. His wife, the man's wife, so burdened about her husband. Brother Vineyard, please come. Brother Vineyard was an ex-Special Forces Green Beret in Vietnam. He was a tough dude. And even in his 70s, he could do fingertip push-ups, put us all to shame. He was a tough man. And he tried to work with this guy. The guy refused to listen. One night as the wife was sitting there in the room, it's hard for me to believe this to be true, but I just accept it because I've heard wilder stories. The man who was comatose in the bed, barely even able to lift a hand, struggled to wake up throughout the day. There suddenly, bolted upright in his bed, eyes wide, and jumped up on top of the bed. IVs getting, he yanked him out of, his, out of his arm and all these things, and he was flailing around in the air, punching the air. And he was screaming as his wife was sitting there, just reading the paper, all of a sudden her husband jumped up, and she was, what's going on, what's going on? And she began, he cried out, don't let them take me! I'm not trying to be sensational tonight. But the testimony goes that he was there punching the air, don't let them take me, don't let them take me, and then pff, collapsed and fell on the floor dead. And you stop and you think, and listen, church, tonight, many times we want to block out the thoughts about hell. Many times we don't even think about heaven. We're so busy looking at pornography, engaging in materialism and money, fighting with our spouse, trying to prove ourselves to be right. And all the besetting sins and various things that are running rampant in our churches today. 
the sin which does so easily beset us that we forget about the perspective of eternity and all that God's love would move our hearts tonight to reach the lost and dying world, that there would be an excitement of his love here this evening and an excitement of eternity as a result of his love. And you stop and think about heaven's rejoicing and what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. But worse than any nightmare that we can envision is the reality of death when it is not crossing over into eternity, going to heaven, but that final struggle of a perishing soul that slips hopelessly and helplessly into the torments of the fires of hell where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Just as physical and real as heaven, so is hell. There's many different things that could be shared about this, but we'll move on. Is everyone okay tonight? Would you say amen? Would you continue with me there? In 1 John chapter number 3. This excitement of eternity, it should, it should stir our hearts to point people to heaven and to pull people from hell. We see number three, my commitment for Christ as a result of his love. We see the excitement and the amazement of his love, but now the commitment for Christ as a result of his love. The Bible says in verse number three, and every man that hath this hope, this love of God, knowing that we're going to heaven, hope not talking about, well, I, ah, I, I, but an anticipation, rather. Like when dad says, we're going to go to the park, we're going to go get ice cream. All three of my kids just like, mm, you know, we're going to get McDonald's on the way home. Now, I'm not promising that, okay, but I'm just saying, it, well, I should probably promise or something, right? <clears throat> but if I was, guess what? There would be an anticipation and an expectation. There's a hope. Well, dad said, dad said, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. How many of you have had that one pulled on you? Oh, that's right, that's right. And God never forgets, amen? But that hope. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Where are the Christians tonight who understand that the Bible says in Psalm 97, verse number 10, all ye that love the Lord hate evil. That we will refuse to lower ourselves and fulfill the lusts of our flesh, the pride of our heart. Because you know what? I'm in love with Jesus way too much. He saved me from the dunghill, as it said, or the garbage pit. He saved me from the dust. I was needy. I was hopeless. I was nothing. And tonight, there's no reason for us to live in the gutter when God has exalted us to live with the king and live like the king. Could it be tonight that we're talking and walking like we're still living in a sewer hole when God saved us from that? We don't have to, but we get to. The love of Christ compels us. And tonight, may our hearts be filled with an overwhelming commitment to the Lord, with a joy, not that we have to, but we get to. I get to every man that hath this hope in him, purifieth himself even as he is pure. I'm in love with Jesus just way too much. By the way, I'm tired of feeling, I'm tired of seeing uh, people who feel oppressed living for Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, in this body I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We're almost through tonight. Just a couple of other verses and we'll be done. Join with me over there to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. I just looked at the clock. 
I'm glad I haven't been paying attention to that all this time because I'd really be nervous. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. Look what the Bible says in verse number 1. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus. We are begging you and we are challenging you. This word beseech means he's down on his knees, begging, imploring. By the Lord Jesus Christ, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. Stop, Jonathan. Sit up straight. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. This, this isn't what we are telling you to do. Man, we're telling you, this is what God says. Do this. Live for Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God. Even your sanctification, sanctification being set apart for God's purpose, that ye should abstain, notice the will of God, that ye should abstain, ye should run from, have nothing to do with fornication. The will of God, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. We're not supposed to live like the world. God has saved us from that. We're different. We're set apart. We're the child of heaven. And why is it that we're living like the world in America today? Verse number seven, it says, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but God has called us unto holiness. Not our own good deeds, the things that we think is right or pure or godly, but rather unto holiness, what God says is clean, what God says is pure, what God says is right. And I'm concerned that many Christians in fundamentalism have been very guilty of setting their own standards. Well, this is not that bad, but this is really wicked. We've got this litmus test of stuff where we just go ahead and excuse it and we justify it and we whitewash it and ultimately we accept it and we're grieving God and we're quenching his power. We're quenching his presence. We're cutting ourselves off from the blessing of heaven and all the things, as it says in Jeremiah 5.25, your sins have withholden from you good things. It's kept God back in your life from being outpoured. Oh, tonight... May we let God set the standard. May we embrace God for who he is and say, Lord, what you say, I'm going to live it. One application. The Bible exhorts us to testify, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. That's the standard. So therefore, the application is blanket across the board. Here's another standard. Abstain from all appearance of evil. It may not even be wrong, but it just doesn't look right. Gives the wrong, just kind of puts off the wrong vibes. The cover, if you will, is just, it just doesn't seem to glorify God. I ain't going to even mess with it. I'm going to get as far away from that thing as possible. You can do with it as you see fit, but you know what? I'm over here. I don't want anything to do with it, and I'm going to go ahead and set a standard. It's my fence, and it's going to keep me from being able to ever get over there. I ain't dabbling with it. I ain't messing with it. So you know what? We're not going to watch this. We're not going to watch that. Why? Because I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. God says he hateth those who loveth violence. I ain't watching those war movies. I ain't watching those things that are grievous and that are so gory and godless. I'm not engaging. I'm not delving down into that. I'm not going to excuse it. I'm setting the standard of what God has said. And I'm going to obey God. You know why? Because I love Jesus way too much. And I don't want to grieve the Lord. I cherish my walk and my relationship with him. And I love his presence and power. And I don't want to be cut off from that. I don't want anything to separate my soul from the Savior. Oh, that God's people would live that way. 
Let me ask you a question tonight, moms and dads and adults in this room. Why do you have the standards that you have? Is the motive right? Young people, what are you doing? Are you developing standards, convictions? Are we setting them ourselves because we think this is holy or we think this is godly or are we just accepting what God says at his word? And sure, God doesn't say X, Y, or Z specifically, but God teaches us so many principles and scriptures about not defiling ourselves. Are we willing to embrace it or are we going to be stuck in our pride and our arrogance? And that is a big telltale sign that we don't love God the way we should. We'll never go. We'll never give. We'll never reach a lost and dying world. There will be no commitment for Christ and having a spirit of reckless abandonment going forward for God if we are not pure. In conclusion tonight, the last passage that we'll go to and we'll be through, for 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Would you see this? 2 Timothy chapter number 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. I really struggled about preaching this message tonight. It's not an easy message to preach. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. I must obey the Lord. The Bible says in verse number 19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Isn't that great? Having this seal, what's stamped on it? What's permanently etched upon it? The Lord knoweth them that are his. Hallelujah. Swing from the chandeliers if we had some in the auditorium. Amen. Praise God. I'm not just on a list somewhere. God knows my name specifically, and he delights in the details of my life. He's fascinated with me and familiar with me. Amen. The Lord knoweth those that are his. But notice, what's also a seal? What's also a decree on the foundation? Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's what God says. Flee from sin. Run from wickedness. Don't coddle it. Don't caress it. Don't be comfortable with it. Depart from iniquity. Could it be tonight that we need to go home and yank stuff off of the DVD rack? Could it be tonight that we need to give our iPods or our iPhones or our tablets to our parents to type in a new password to our account on Apple or whatever thing that you have so they can change the password so you literally cannot log into that account again and listen to the music that you've downloaded? I mean, it's, the devil has been so crafty, it's like it all just, it's just in the cloud and you can download it again even if you get rid of it and it's all attached. It's like a booger on a finger you can't get rid of because it's nasty just like that. And you know what you need to do? You need to have somebody set a password so you have no human way of being able to get back into that account and establish accountability to keep us from developing a sin problem again. Amen? But the question is, how radical are we about this? Jesus is radical about us. Oh, that we would be radical for Christ. He says here, Let every one of you that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. This is the seal. This has been stamped upon that foundation. Notice in verse number 21, the Bible says, If a man therefore purge himself from these, from the sin, departing from the iniquity, if, we, if he lets God clean him up and let God convict him and embraces that and says, okay, Lord, let's have a house clean in time and a heart clean in time, a hand clean in time. Oh, God, he shall be a vessel unto honor. Every man that hath this hope purifieth himself even as pure. Why? Because we want to be used of God and we're going to make a commitment that we're going to go forward in holiness. Why? Because we love Jesus too much. 
to lower ourselves with the filth and the muck and the mire and the world and the sin. The Bible says here, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared unto most good works. Unto some, no, but unto every good work. I don't want to miss out on one thing. I want God to use me to the maximum, amen? I want heaven unleashed in my life. I want to be qualified for God to use me. I want to be set apart. I don't want to be in the dishwater, if you will, of sin. I don't want to have wickedness crusted on me where God wants to come and he wants to use me, but I've got all this stuff on me. No, I need to be clean first before I can be used. I don't know of anybody tonight who's going to go home and use a dirty plate for some leftovers or for a late night snack, especially with the hour in which that there is. I'm thankfully nobody's sitting up in the window tonight, amen? falling out but uh, and things and as we go home we're not going to go to that or to the, uh, the 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 dishwasher and pull something out and just go ahead and slap some leftovers on and nuke it in the microwave no we're going to wash it first and some of us there goes the water needs to wash i'll get it i think that was of the lord because we need to let him wash us like the steps were just washed with the water This is a very serious thing to God. I wonder how serious we are about this. The Bible says in verse number 22, flee also youthful lusts. That word lust keeps popping up, doesn't it? He says youthful lusts because it's not just to the youth, but there are men who have been married for 35 years that have left their wives. There have been women who have been married for their spouse who have left their husbands. And you realize, Pastor, I don't have the statistic in front of me, but an overwhelming... Majority of people who are married. The statistic is over 60%. I know it's far above that. 60% of husbands and wives, they have thought about having an affair and committing adultery on their spouse. And they would do it in a heartbeat if they could figure out a way to get away with it. This is a very real problem. And we must understand tonight, God says to everyone, flee youthful lusts, but follow righteousness. Follow me, amen? Who's going to follow? Righteousness, faith, charity, peace, and we're going to follow with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart, amen? We're going to avoid the foolish things and the unlearned questions and the strife and all that junk in verse number 23, and we want to be a servant of the Lord. We're not going to be filled with strife and arrogance, but we're going to be gentle unto all men, verse number 24, apt to teach, patient, meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, man, trying to reach this old world with Jesus, trying to be a lifeline, amen, trying to help people be salvaged that have gone astray, that have been backslidden, those who are lost and dying, that we seek to reach them while there's still hope and there's still time. Lord, I pray that you'll use these truths tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to preach. I pray, God, that you would make sense out of this. I feel like I've stumbled all over myself tonight. I feel like I've been clumsy tonight. Lord, I pray that you would use the foolishness of preaching to confound even the wise this evening. I pray that there was something here in this message that would grip every single heart in this room, something that would cause us to drive away this evening in meditation, deep meditation, deep, deep contemplation. As we are by ourselves here this evening, brushing our teeth, getting ready for bed, as we go about our day tomorrow, that your sweet Holy Spirit would captivate our thoughts and our minds with something that has been observed this evening from your word. 
I pray, God, that we would take these things to heart. I pray, Lord, that there is a genuine amazement of your love. Every single revival of yesteryear was born out of prevailing prayer, but it was born out of people who fell back in love with you all over again, became real, and became something radical. Lord, I don't believe that we'll see genuine revival until once again we see you in all your wonder and splendor and your love. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to genuinely say, I love the Lord with all my heart. And it's something that we can truly mean. And God, tonight, if we have different things that we love that's taken our minds and our focus and our passion from Thee, that we would repent from that. And Lord, even though we may like these things, that they would have their proper place. And God, You would not just simply have predominance, but that You would have preeminence. And God, that You would have first and foremost place in our hearts. Help us to observe the first commandment, the first works, to love thee with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, and that we would love our neighbor as much as we love thee. Lord, I pray this evening that you would use these truths to stir your people. I don't believe that we'll ever give and go and reach this whole world with the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ the way we can in our full potential if we don't love you the way we ought to. Your love is what compels us, and that love will cause us to do whatever it takes to get the job done because we are completely fascinated, captivated, and infatuated with you. Oh, God, help us tonight and break the hardest of hearts. I beg of you, Holy Spirit of God, in Jesus' name I pray. My wife is going to come and softly play on the piano. I know it's 8 o'clock. No one...